Hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. I love those faces out here. And uh, we, uh, we have a candle that's lit today. So, yeah. Uh, last Sunday, in our first service, Sue made a decision to follow Christ. Let's celebrate with Sue today. And it keeps going. Uh, Josh Stamper led Jacob to Christ last week. Let's celebrate with Jacob. <laughs> Bethany Bruner led Jude to Christ this weekend. She plans to get baptized, or he plans to get baptized. Yeah. And Jennifer McQueen uh, was going through inventory with, with Kim, and Kim gave her life to Christ yesterday. So let's, let's celebrate. With Kim. That is beautiful. Well, hey, you picked a great Sunday uh, to be here because today we are starting a new four week series called Let's Talk About It. And uh, I believe God's going to use this series to help a lot of folks. According to research of uh, the Kaiser uh, Foundation, one out of two of us here today are wrestling with some mental and emotional health challenge, some kind of mental and emotional health challenge. I mean, I want you to just think about that for a moment and let that sink in. One out of two people, all right? That's 50% of us. Either you or the person next to you is wrestling with some sort of mental or emotional health challenge. And one of the things when it comes to talking about mental health is that we tend to keep it to ourselves. And then we feel like, oh man, we're the only one, right? Uh, we're the only ones dealing with this. So as a church, we have tried uh, very intentionally over the years to create a safe place, a safe environment to talk about issues like we're about to talk about over the next four weeks. Uh, and you know, you're not going to find too many churches around to actually have a mental health center right on their campus. Um, why did we do that? Well, because at least 50% of us are wrestling with these issues. If not now, we'll, we'll be eventually. So over the next four weeks, I want to encourage you to try to be here. And uh, because we're, we're going to address topics like anger, and doubt, depression. Today we're, we're, we're on anxiety. And some of you are going, man, you know, you, you, you've been here before. You go, like, this is going to be an awesome series. And then others of you are going, man, that sounds like a real downer, <laughs> you know. And I just want to assure you that it's, it's not going to be a downer, all right. God's Word has a lot to say about these subjects. And, and every single week as you come, if you'll come with an open heart, then, and you're going to find help hope and encouragement from God's Word. Amen? So, uh, you may be like, well, hey, I'm one of the 50% that's not dealing with any of those these issues. Well, you will at some point. That's just part of being a human. Let me ask you this. Do you have any family members or friends who experience anxiety or anger or doubt or depression? Yeah. Well, be here over the next four weeks so we can give you the tools to help equip you uh, to bring hope to those that you love in your life. And, and uh, 
So this morning, let's talk about anxiety. I was kind of getting, I told the prayer partners, the praying over me today, I was kind of getting anxiety this week, just preaching on anxiety. <laughs> I got 35 minutes to tackle this topic. Which way do I go? And from a biblical standpoint, how do, how do we as Christ followers deal with anxiety? Because oftentimes it's, it's completely misunderstood. There are some who would say, well, you know, you get anxiety, you just need to stop stressing and worrying, you know, so much. Uh, you need to stop sinning, which, which brings up a question that people will often ask in churches is, is anxiety a sin? And the answer is not all types. I mean, the first, I've got four there on the list today, types, and there's probably more than that. In fact, I'm going to preach an extra. Uh, but um, the first two have nothing to do with sin, the types of anxiety. And the second two, they do. And I'll preach on that this morning. And the, the, the second uh, half is sinful. Um, but depending on the context, anxiety may be one of four types. The first type there on your outline mentioned is actually a God-given emotional response for our benefit. It's a good thing to have this kind of anxiety. You're, you're overcome with feelings of anxiety because there's a real immediate threat. I mean, it's, 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 it's true. There's a threat. Your car stalls on the railroad track. It won't start. All right. There's a train coming. Yeah. <laughs> you have a child in the back seat. What, what you're experiencing is a God-given emotional response for your benefit. All right. Get out. You know, get that child out. And you say, man, I almost peed my pants. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> that is a good thing because it caused you to move quickly and get everybody to safety. Are you with me? So, in this context, it's good anxiety. Uh, the second type of anxiety that, that needs to be addressed in all churches today is what is known as a disordered physiological response that is not sinful, all right? Uh, a disordered physiological response. And it's what we normally think of as clinical anxiety. And when left uh, untreated, oh man. It can be debilitating. And for those who struggle with certain anxiety disorders, it would be both ignorant and abusive. And churches do this. They abuse, they automatically assume that sin is involved uh, because there's a distinct difference between the sin of anxiety versus having a mental health disorder of anxiety. And uh, you know, the sin of anxiety is caused by free will choice. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, and that's something we decide to make. So that's why it's, you know, we, we go that route. It's against uh, what the Lord would have for us, and, it, and it's called sin. Uh, but anxiety disorders are not that simple, all right? No one chooses a mental health disorder or anxiety, and anxiety disorders are developed um, from complex set of risk factors that include genetics, it can uh, brain chemistry, uh, uh, personality, life events. And these are often things we have no choice, no control over. And they can manifest themselves in multiple ways and panic attacks. You know, you, it's like 
wow, my heart's racing here. What, what, I'm not even thinking. I'm not worried about anything. But my heart's racing. I, I can't hardly breathe. Uh, Post-traumatic post stress disorder, uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. So here at Brandywine, uh, we are committed. Uh, you've heard me say this many times. Uh, we're committed to helping remove the stigma of mental health. And uh, people need to understand that just because someone is dealing with anxiety and depression, that that's not necessarily the same as sinful worry or, uh, and, and unbelief. So how do, how do you and I, as Christ followers, go about combating anxiety? Well, there are several ways we're going to talk about. Uh, we need to understand, as we just sang, uh, I speak Jesus, you know, over, we need to seek the great physician. Uh, that's always first, right? Uh, that was that's, that was over my doctor's office, or uh, uh, where, where we used to live, over by Newcastle when we first got married. And have you consulted the great physician first? And uh, so we 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 sang that this morning. Speak Jesus, the name of Jesus, over. And uh, we need to consult the great physician first. Secondly, we need to seek a uh, in, in instances like this type. We need to con seek a professional. Uh, physician, your doctor, you may or not, may not, uh, who may or may not prescribe medication. And, uh, and you may be thinking, well, is that, is that biblical? Who do you think gave chemists and physicians the wisdom to provide medicines that help heal uh, and help us? I mean, really, if it's good and it heals, guess who that's from? Yeah, it's from the Lord. Um, number three, uh, we need to seek a, a healthy church to plug into and call home. Uh, and this one is just as vital. A healthy church is going to help you connect to a good uh, biblical counselor um, and support and therapy based on biblical values. And that's why over the, uh, I guess over five years ago now, we, we started the Wellspring Mental Health Center. And the number one reason why folks, uh, and really hundreds over the years here, have walked through our doors at the Wellspring Center has been to find help and support and care due to anxiety and depression, which often go together. Uh, and the good news about an anxiety disorder, they're, they're highly treatable, all right? The problem is only about 37% of those suffering from it receive treatment. So... And our, our Wellspring uh, Center offers a variety of support groups, whether it be for grief or for trauma or addiction. Um, and of course, we also have to celebrate recovery as well. But there's a group starting in our Wellspring called Redefine Grace, specifically designed for anxiety and depression. Right? Once you know that's available, it's just starting up. Come check it out. Uh, number three, number three, the third type of anxiety mentioned in your outline uh, and these next two are sinful. The first two are not. These two, and we're going to preach on these next two. All right? uh, the, the third type of anxiety mentioned in your outline is a natural consequence of sin. Sin is fun for a season. We know that. You know that. Don't deny that. Uh, but sinful behavior will eventually make you sick. And uh, if you cheat on your spouse, you're going to experience anxiety, right? If you steal or embezzle money from a company you work for, you're going to experience anxiety. It's it's the result of sin. Uh, the fourth type mentioned there on your outline has to do with a sinful response to God's providential care, a sinful response 
to God's providential care. And it's caused by, um, there's trust issues with, between you and the Lord and questioning God's care and provision. Uh, thinking, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to have enough or, you know, whether it be food or clothes or whatever. You're just worried about something uh, all the time. It, it, it's, it transfers to many things. I mean, it can even be your kids. And we're going to talk about this and how that, you know, sometimes can even be an idol. It's what, what's what causing the anxiety. But it's, it's one thing to care, but chronic worriers take this to a whole new level. Are, are, they, are they safe? Oh, man, I'm sure they must be laying in a ditch somewhere right now. You know, you just know something terrible just happened, you know, to them. And this type of anxiety can even be caused by, again, by having an idol in your life. And, and I'll, I'll explain more uh, here in a few moments. But there are many types of anxiety. How many of you know this morning that Satan is a thief and a liar? Do you know that? His only goal for you is to still kill and destroy. And so what did Jesus say? I mean, just the opposite. Jesus, the Son of God, said, I have come so that you may have what? Life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So we know that living uh, with anxiety is not the life that God has designed for us. Billy Graham said uh, this about anxiety. He said, at its best, anxiety distracts us from our relationship with God and the truth that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. At its worst, anxiety is a crippling disease taking over our minds and plunging our thoughts into darkness. One of the most classic texts that you'll find on anxiety is found in Philippians uh, chapter 4. And it's talking about uh, here a, a sinful response to God's providential care. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and look what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, if, if, if we're, if, if it's a sinful response to, to God's care and trust, a, a chronic warrior, then you're always thinking the worst possible scenario is always going to happen. Something awful is going to happen. And there's a Swedish proverb that says, quote, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Isn't that true? Nothing even has happened yet, and it probably will never happen. I'm just assuming the worst, you know? Um, and so why is this kind of worry so offensive to God? Well, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, right? That he's powerful enough, that he's loving enough to care, uh, to take care of what, whatever's going on and happening in our lives. When we worry... Uh, we're, we're acting like an atheist, right? We're, we're not believing the truth about God. We are doubting that he, that he sees, that he knows, that he cares, and, and that he's more than able. Uh, Oswald Chamber, Chambers said this, uh, worry is an, addic is an indication that we think God cannot look after us. 
And when, so when we worry, we're not believing the truth about God. We are doubting that he sees and he knows, he cares, and he loves us. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, and he, in this situation, it's, he's talking about the sinful uh, number four that we've talked about in our type of anxiety. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, by prayer and petition. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I guess all we can do is pray? <laughs> I mean, like, wow, has it come to that? <laughs> you know, like that's a last resort, you know. And in fact, Paul says prayer is one of the best ways to combat worry. Uh, did you know that it takes as much energy to pray as it does to worry? It's true. It's true. And worry doesn't even get you anywhere. You know? Calling out to God in prayer. And I know some of you right now are thinking, hey, pastor, that just sounds like some religious pat answer. Go pray about it. You know? Uh, it's too simple. Well, I didn't write the Bible, okay? These words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you take that up with the Lord, all right? If you don't believe Him, Check out what science says about prayer. Yeah, science. Here's something fascinating that science has discovered. Research shows that prayer actually changes your brain. <laughs> uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, I mentioned this before in her book, Switched on Your Brain, a great resource. In her book, she states this about the brain and prayer. She says, quote, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent it can be measured on a brain scan. So, whether you believe in God or not, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you don't believe in science either, but... Uh, not only does prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer actually ch changes the brain, which is exactly what a worried brain needs to be changed. So prayer heals the brain. It, when you call out to God, you're trans it transforms the brain. It, it literally renews the brain. The path to peace is paved with prayer. And you can either worry or you can pray, you know? You can either worry or you can worship. You can either... Uh, Become all agitated and disgruntled, or you can be thankful. And that's, that's what Paul says next. In, in verse 6, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the thing ab about a heart of gratitude. A heart, the heart cannot be grateful and anxious at the same time. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it cannot. Anxiety sees gratitude enter the door, and anxiety packs his bags and leaves out the back door. All right? Gratitude and anxiety cannot exist in the same room. And that's why Paul says, focus on your blessings. Get, get your mind off your worries and your strife and begin to count your blessings. Name them one by one. And Paul says that all your requests had to be presented with thanksgiving. You say, well, how can that be? How can you be thankful for something when you, you're, you're only making a request for it? Well, that's the key. The answer is you thank God before you make the request. And by doing that, here's what you're saying. You're saying, God, whatever you do in response to this request, I'm, I'm good with that and I'm thank you, I thank you for it. Here's my request, but if what I'm asking is off base, I mean, and, and you don't give what I ask for, 
I may not be happy about it, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful because I trust that you're God. And I trust that you know what you're doing, and that gives me peace. I th I'm thankful that you are ordering my life because you are Lord. And to be able to thank God ahead of time for the things that you request him, of him is one of the keys to experiencing peace. The opposite of anxiety and worry is peace. So what's Paul's summary here of, of this text that we just read in Philippians 4? What's he saying? He's saying that peace, number one in your outline, peace is confidence and trust in God's wise control of your life. Peace is confidence and trust in, in God's wise control of your life. Again, the opposite of anxiety and worry is peace, and peace is that confidence and that trust. You know what? He's got this. He knows. And, and Paul closes out the text by saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. In other words, if you want to experience peace, you need to learn the, the habit of telling your mind what to dwell on. All right? You need to tell your mind what to dwell on. And in your outline, that's number two. You can either talk to your heart or you can listen to your heart. You can either talk to your heart or you can listen to your heart. Tomorrow your heart is going to start saying, oh my goodness, oh my, what, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And for some of you, that's what's going on in your mind all day long. And so there are two things you can do with your heart. You can sit and listen to your heart. And just keep getting, it gets getting more and more anxious. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Or you can talk to your heart. We see this played out in, with David in Psalm 42. David is, is depressed. Anxiety and depression often go together. David says, why am I discouraged? Why, am I, why is my heart so sad? What's David doing? He's talking. Uh, he's talking. Uh, I, I, let me ask you this. Who's David talking to? Himself. He's talking to his soul. What, why am I so discouraged? Why, am, why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. What is he doing? Instead of listening to his heart, he's talking to it. <laughs> he's telling himself, think about this. Now think about this concerning the Lord. I'm talking to you. Don't forget who, who made you. I'm talking to my, I'm talking to my soul. I, don't forget who saved you. Don't forget who's in control. He's talking to his soul about it. So number two, you can either talk to your heart or you can listen to your heart. Peace comes from telling your heart who you are in Christ. All right? It's interesting, the word Paul uses in verse 6 for anxious or anxiety is a little Greek word called merimna. Uh, I actually listened to it on the internet the other day. Well, how do you pronounce it? Marimna. Uh, anxiety, it means to d divide, to, to be in pieces. And there's a, there's a play on this same word anxious in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You're probably familiar with it. It's where Mary and Martha, two sisters, uh, have Jesus over to their house to eat. And, and Martha, she's fretting. I mean, you talk about anxiety. She's running all around. And it says she was anxious. Marimnos. 
she was anxious with much serving. And in other words, she, she, was, she was divided, trying, trying to do too much. And Martha's mind was divided and distracted with just too many goals, you know. And so her, her sister, Mary, was just the opposite. She was just sitting there focused and listening to Jesus. And Martha's like, Mary, we have work to do. Now there's, there, there's no time to have, this is no time for you to have your quiet time with the Lord. All right. But Mary's like, hey, hey, it, it, it doesn't matter if the house is a wreck. It doesn't matter if there are a million of things to do. I'm focused on one thing, one thing, and that is being with Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Huh? Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Martha's all stressed and in pieces, you know, and, uh, but Mary has found the one thing needful. She's single-minded. Jesus is explaining how Martha will continue to be anxious until he's her one thing. Focus on this one thing. In Psalm 27, David carries the same theme, alluding to the fact that fear and anxiety will continue to dominate our lives until we make him our one thing, all right? Uh, Psalm 27 is all about fear and worry and anxiety. You know, it's interesting. You ask the typical person sometimes uh, uh, who's experiencing anxiety what you're afraid of, and they'll go, oh, I'm not afraid. I struggle with anxiety, but I'm not afraid of anything. Well, actually you are because you're, you're, you're simply unaware because fear is the root of anxiety. All right. Fear is the root of anxiety. In verse one, David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, here David had, had, he had warriors after him, I mean, with real knives and, all right, so literally. And so he says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, verse 3, my, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then, will I be confident? Now, here in verse 3, David's like, I have so much freedom from anxiety and fear that I, ha I have enough left over that if a whole army came up, I'd be okay. I'd be able to handle it. That's how much peace David is experiencing in his heart and mind. You say, well, how did he get that peace? Well, verse 4 is the key. Check it out with here he explains his strategy to slay fear, uh, and we're talking about sinful fear here, the, uh, two and, or, I'm sorry, three and four on your outline. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. So the same key which, which Jesus shared with Martha, the same key for David, one thing one thing I have asked from the Lord, this only do I seek, single-mindedness. David was fearful and anxious until one thing he asked from the Lord, this only did I seek. All right? What's David saying here? He's saying our fear 
and anxiety is going to be directly proportional to the vulnerability of whatever or whoever my greatest joy is. In other words, if my greatest joy things or people above the Lord, then that's vulnerable. No wonder I'm experiencing fear and anxiety because it could all be gone in a moment. But if my one thing I want to seek most of all is God, I'm safe. I mean, I'm, I'm fearless, right? St. Augustine, great philosopher, St. Augustine had an um, uh, amazingly relevant way of understanding anxiety. Augustine said this, he said, Here, here's where our anxiety comes from. All of us have good things in our lives, right? We all have good things in our lives, and we love them. We desire them, good things. Parents and children are good things, right? A career is a good thing. Uh, romance is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. All sorts of things are good things. We have lots of good things in our lives, right? But Augustine says, any, any, any time these good things become the one thing, Anytime we start thinking we have, we have to have these other things in order to be happy, anytime we begin to adore them over the Lord, anytime we start believing we could never be happy unless we have these people or things in our life, anytime these good things become one thing, Augustine says, that's when anxiety takes over and floods our heart and mind. Why? Because number three, anxiety is always the result of the implosion or the collapse of a false god. Anxiety is always the result of the implosion or the collapse of a false god. Now, I first read that quote from Augustine, I'm thinking, oh, that, that doesn't sound right. Not always. But don't get tripped, I got to think about it, don't get tripped up on the word always. He's not saying loving Loving people and things more than God is the only thing that causes fear and anxiety because we talked about those other types, right? He's simply stating that you'll always be susceptible to fear and anxiety as long as God is not your one thing. He's not your greatest joy. Because God is the only thing that lasts forever, right? He's the only thing that cannot be taken away from us. Fear and anxiety take root in our hearts when good things become one things. Right? When good things become the central thing in our life, uh, only God should be there, the first on the throne of our heart. And that's where anxiety comes from. Why? Well, Psalm 27 here, and, and of course St. Augustine are in agreement. Anxiety is always the result of an implosion or the collapse of a false god. Now, let me, let me tell you one of the reasons why we squirm with this. All right? And some of you like, oh, I don't know about it. Some of you just ate up and worry with worry and anxiety right now. And you think, what, what this is saying is unfair, right? And that what you're thinking? Well, that's unfair because you're worried about a person or, or persons. You're worried about how someone in your life is doing. And that's what makes it so hard because the people and things that turn into little idols in our lives are most always good things. <laughs> After all, they were created by God, right? They're wonderful. And that's the reason they can so easily slip into the center and where only he belongs. 
let me encourage you in this this morning. A little anxiety when you're caring about somebody is a good thing, right? We, we get that. A little anxiety. Remember, there's a place in, in, in the Bible where Paul says, I have on me the daily anxiety, quote, I have on me the daily anxiety of all the churches, is what Paul's saying. Paul very much loved and cared about the well-being of the people in those churches that he ministered to. And, and so actually a little anxiety shows that you're caring about the person, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, all right? We're talking about chronic worry because th that thing or that person has been placed in the center of your life where only God belongs. A good thing has become a one thing. Now you're gazing on their beauty and not his, all right? Now you're seeking them above all else. And, and now you're thinking, unless I can have them or that or whatever it is that you, if you have as an idol, I'll never be happy. That creates debilitating anxiety and fear, all right? And that's why David says to God in verse 4, if you're my one thing, if you're the one thing I require, I'm fearless, all right? Good things are, are vulnerable, all of them, but God's not vulnerable. Good things can be gone in a moment, and, and when they're there's a threat of not having them in my life, then, oh, man, I just can't go to pieces. But nothing can ever take away the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And you say, Mark, don't you love your wife and kids? I mean, you doesn't sound like you, oh, man, I love them dearly. But here's what I've learned. If I put God first in my, in my life, before my wife, I'm a better husband. If I put my children second in my life, that's God, my wife, and then my children, I'm a, I'm a better dad. I'm a better parent. So the question then is, how do we make sure God becomes and stays our one thing? How do we do that? Well, David tells us there in verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now let's break that down. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What's David say, saying here? What does that mean? I want to dwell in the house of, of the Lord all the days of my life. Well, he's not talking about a physical dwelling like we're in here today. He, he can't live all the time in a physical temple, right? Um, he's not talking about that. He's talking about living every moment of every day in the presence of the Lord, being in his presence. And that's where you and I find peace when we get to know him intimately and spend time with him in his presence. Uh, so it's ongoing uh, that's where we find peace in the presence of God. And then he goes on to say, to, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. What does that mean? What does David mean? I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Well, he's worshiping for one thing, but he's saying, God, you alone possess everything that is desirable. You alone, I worship. Everything that's good has its ultimate fulfillment in you. And that's why you don't ever want to, the good things in our life 
to become ultimate things because then we taint them and they're no longer good. <laughs> uh, but for a Christ follower, God needs to always be the ultimate is what. So, and then he goes on to say, and to seek him. What, what does that mean, to seek him? What does David mean, I want to seek him in his temple? Well, the word seek here is a very specific Hebrew word. It actually means to go and get counsel, to go and get counsel. So, what's David saying? He's saying, when I come to you, Lord, I'm trying to find out what your will is in my life. I'm coming to you, Lord, seeking you, trying, I want to know what, I want to, I want to obey you. I want to find out your will in my life. I want to submit to you. Um, and when I read this, I'm like, well, this sounds very familiar to a passage in Ecclesiastes where King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, said the same. I mean, this was his final conclusion of life. The wisest man, the Bible says, ever lived. He, this was his conclusion on life. Fear God. In other words, worship him with awe and filled, awe-filled reverence, knowing that he is almighty God and obey his commands for this applies to every person. So you see, when it comes to the sinful side of anxiety, the third and fourth type that we talked about, and, and even this type of idol worship, uh, the Bible gives some tremendous solutions. Dwell forever in the house of the Lord because peace is found in God's presence. And if you'll get to know him and spend time with him in an intimate way all throughout your day, morning, day, night. Why, uh, so, so learn to stay there. Learn to stay there. And then learn to gaze on his beauty alone, his beauty alone. Enjoy the good things. Enjoy all those good things because they're from the Lord, right? But keep him your ultimate. And then seek him in his temple. In other words, find out what God's will is for your life and obey it. And if you'll learn to make these things we just talked about a habit in your life, you will experience a peace as it passes all understanding, a peace like no other. And of course, learning a, a lifetime habits <laughs> takes time, right? Renewing your mind doesn't happen in just a few days. So the fact is, I can't give you something here this morning quickly that you can just quickly help you overcome all your anxiety between now and Thursday, all right? It begins with, it begins with a new heart. And we're going to pray and we're going to invite the Lord to do that in our hearts and lives today. God, give me a new heart. Give me a new way of life. Give me a new way of doing everything. So I just want, I want you to know that, yeah, a 35-minute message is not going to do it, but, but there's no quick fix. But you can start right now. Amen? I mean, a journey of wherever you're going to go into can begin with a single step. What's the first step? What's the first step? Today, I say to God, God, I'm going to make you my one thing. <laughs> I'm going to make you my highest priority. Today, I'm making you the one thing. I'm ditching all the other competition. You are my one that I adore. 
that I worship. You are first on the throne of my heart. I'm ditching all the other competing concerns. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that every person here, every person listening online might be enabled to say, the one thing I want is to dwell in your house and gaze on your beauty and seek you in your temple. And for some here today, that's going to mean saying yes to God, maybe for the first time. And if, he, if that's your heart, man, you just tell him, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to turn and go the other way and begin to live for you and worship you and put you first in my life. Give me a new heart. Others of you are sitting here today and it's like, man, I, I just need to recommit. I, I, need, I need to reshuffle priorities. Realizing that God has not been my ultimate joy. Good things have become one thing. So I pray that every person here would, would say, one thing I ask, one thing only will I seek. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can we celebrate God's goodness this morning? Hey, if you just made God your one thing, we have a yes table if you said yes to God. Be sure and visit Cody over there. He's going to help get you plugged in. We're going to celebrate with you. Paul's going to come and introduce communion for us. Love you. God bless.